Today we are continuing in our series on the non-negotiable truths of the Christian faith, the convictions that drive the way that we believe. If you were with us this past week in the park, uh, man, that was an awesome time. I'm, I'm telling you, as a pastor, it was fun just to see everybody together. Um, it was so cool to see our church family together. Um, you know, you're oftentimes in one service or the other, and you don't get to see people. Um, and to be able to have everyone together and just have a wonderful day, the weather was perfect. Um, it was just a, a, an, an amazing day, and thank you to all the volunteers that made that happen. For those of you who are working the grill, getting the food prepared, it was just awesome. Um, but we were able to continue in our series and, and really understand that God is moving, even in the midst of craziness. You know, we've, we've put the signs back up, and we are following the, the, the directives that we're being asked to do. Can I just ask you something as a pastor? Can we not let this get in the way of loving people? Please? I know everybody's got an opinion, and everybody's got a thought, and everybody's got a feeling. None of us likes putting these things on. But I would just ask you this singular question. What does this impact in the scope of eternity? Because that should be our mindset. That should be the way that we're thinking. What is God doing in the scope of eternity? And too often we allow ourselves to get sidetracked with all the noise and all the stuff that's going on. And we tend to want to press into our strong opinions and thoughts and feelings and the things that we've read on social media and the studies that we've delved deep into. And we want to just share it with the world. Sometimes we do it at the expense of truly loving people and showing the love of Christ. Can we be those that in the midst of all this nonsense and this craziness and directives that seem to change by the day, can we be those who stay steady and loving people? I know that God will be faithful to show us the things to say in those difficult times. But every one of us has those strong thoughts and opinions and feelings. And we have those beliefs that, that shape the way that we live and the way that we approach life and, and the fundamental truths, these convictions that we've been talking about now, this is our sixth week, are the things that should really, really direct our steps. They're the beliefs that re really should pave the way in which we live our lives. We're in our sixth week of this series, and we've been discussing the ways in which we're called to step into these convictions, allow them to be our guiding light. And this week, we're going to be grappling with the question, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? You know, I, I'm, I'm a TV watcher, I confess. I love watching good shows. I love my San Francisco Giants and my San Francisco 49ers. I don't want to hear it. It was a preseason game. Nobody cares, okay? But I love my sports teams. I love watching our shows. Gretchen and I, one of our favorite things to do is watch movies and, and watch our shows. And every once in a while, there's a, there's a commercial that kind of makes you chuckle. And so as we begin to ask the question, how good is good enough? And are you certain of the things that you know to be true? I thought this would be a, 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 good, a good video for us to watch. For those of you who are watching online, we apologize. We can't show it to you. Otherwise, they'll shut down our feed. But those of you who are here, take a look. Thank you. 
I'm sure there's, there's, oh, you know, for all of us, there's been those moments in our lives where we were pretty sure of, of something and maybe wished we had been certain. I know there's been those times in my life, perhaps, you know, you've been like me and when you've decided to move or transport something in your vehicle and you, you tied everything down real tight, you were pretty sure everything was secure, only to drive down Highway 99 and see your recliner rolling down the street, you know. Maybe you're your kids are pretty sure when they're doing the dishes that they've done a real good job of getting the, the, the pan clean only to have you pull the thing back out to use it again and have the casserole remnants there for you to enjoy a second time. Or maybe you're like, you know, you, you have kids like ours, you know, Micah, our son, um, he had his friends help him paint his room. He was pretty sure they were going to do a good job. And, and uh, let's just say we needed to paint his room a second time because it didn't turn out great. Or, I remember when I had my first vehicle, my, my Volkswagen, my 89 Volkswagen Cabriolet. It was very manly, by the way. It was charcoal, and it had a black top, so I don't want to hear any of it. And it had this cool plaid interior. But anyways, I, you know, I digress. But we had gone over to my friend's house. I needed to do a brake job on it, and he said, oh yeah, bring it over. We'll take care of it. So we got it up there, and we changed all the brake pads out, and and his 10-year-old son was helping us out, and we got it all, you know, put back together and put the wheels back on. And I got about a quarter mile down the street only to have one of my back tires go poof and fall off because I was pretty sure that his 10-year-old had tightened those lug nuts down. But for whatever reason, sometimes we settle for good enough in life. And oftentimes it's, it's regretfully. We think it's good enough. We think the, the way that we are living is, is, is going to measure up. And in time, we maybe are disappointed with the way things turn out. So today, as we continue our conversation surrounding the convictions that shape our faith, we're going to wind back the clock to the beginning and discuss the original sin. We're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about the way that we live our lives, thinking maybe that things are good enough. Our text today is found in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, you can flip onto the Bible app, and you'll find our notes there available to you. But in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. 
And this only is only one example among many others. Didn't Jesus call to the crowd to come and hear? All of you listen, he said, and try to understand it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either? He asked. Can't you see that the food that you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. God, we ask you today, as we begin to consider what you are calling us to understand, we pray that we would embrace the fact that every one of us has got things inside of us that don't reflect you. And we ask that we would be very aware, Lord, that it's, it's not the things that we do or say that bring us closer to you. It's the heart that we have. So, Father, we pray that you'd place a mirror in front of our faces that we would see ourselves for who we are and we would see our great need of you. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you loved us first. We thank you that we can come to you today. We can ask you to change us from the inside out. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus is addressing this crowd of people in this passage of Scripture. And it's a crowd of Jewish people who are, are steeped in the tradition of the law of Moses. They've, they've done all the right things, and they're, and they're in this place where they are struggling to understand what they should be doing. And unfortunately, they've begun to compromise the commandments God put in place to appease their own version of spirituality. Verse 13, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. How often in life do we cancel the word of God to appease our own thoughts and opinions and desires? I'm going to be honest with you right now. I see way, I see way too many Christians who have strong opinions about these who are canceling the very word of God because of the nonsense they're spewing out of their mouths and the opinions they're sharing, thinking that they have every right to tell everybody what to think and do and feel. And the reality is we're canceling the Word of God because we care more about a mandate or a directive or going against a mandate and a directive and having my freedom than we do about people's hearts. You know, though each of us is made in the image of God, it is important that we remember after God created us, every one of us rebelled against him. Sin came into the world and it hit all of us the same way. God was good. 
and we chose otherwise. So how do we grapple with this conflict then? How do we come to this place of understanding our own sin and our our own depravity and still embrace that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives? How do we balance that equation? And considering these realities and the complexity of that question, there's a few questions I think that will tend to arise in our minds and in our hearts. The first one is this. Did God create people to be wicked and perverse? Did God create us? Kind of in that place of wickedness. Because it's easy to look at the world and kind of begin to assume that God created us flawed and messed up. So he come along and show up just the right time and, I'm here. You guys are all screwed up. Don't worry about it. I got you. And sometimes we look at the world and we go, I think that's probably what happened. God just created us messed up so he could show up and fulfill his perfect plan. But the reality is that's not what we see in Scripture. God created every one of us in his image. He created us in his image to be in relationship with him. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created you perfect, without flaw. You are not an accident. But the unfortunate reality is shortly after God created man and woman, we decided to rebel against him. We decided to go the other direction. We decided to buy into the lie that he didn't create us perfect, that he didn't have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And it's easy to look at the original sin of Adam and Eve and want to point the finger, right? We, we all look back and we're like, man, if Eve would have just not plucked that fruit off the tree, took a bite of it, and then gave it to Adam. So I think we can all agree that we're, we're where we are because of the ladies. So, and all the ladies are like, yeah, you guys are the, you're the idiot who ate it, you know. No, that's not it at all. We, we want to point the finger at Adam and Eve, but the reality is we're all messed up. We've all at one time believed the lies of the enemy and stepped into something that God never ordained for us to step into. And if you remember in the garden, it was the enemy that came to Adam and Eve. And what did he do? He got their eyes off of God. Remember what he said? Did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees? God had made it clear. This is all yours. You have dominion. You've got, this is all yours. It's for you. It's for your pleasure. It's for multiply. 
And what does the devil do? God really say, there was one tree. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any trees? And maybe it's not eating fruit off a tree for you or for me. But we believe the lies of the enemy. Did God really say you shouldn't poison your body with addictive drugs? Did God really say everything in moderation? Another bite, another drink, it's okay. Did God really say sex should be saved for the marriage bed? Did God really say judge not lest you be judged? Did God really say do not repay evil with evil? No. And we find license to do what we want to do. We step outside of the will of God. The consequences ensue. Or perhaps for you, it's you've bought into the lies that you're not good enough. Perhaps for you, the, 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 the belief is that you're not God's perfect creation. And you say, did God really say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made? I don't know. Did God really say, before I formed you, I knew you? Did God really say, I've set you apart as holy? Did Jesus say, whoever believes in me will do greater things than even I've done? Did he really say that? And we believe the lies of the enemy, that God is not serious about his plan and his purpose for you and for me. Here's the reality, friends. God has created us for greatness because he created us in his image. If you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, remember you're God's child. Remember he created you perfect without flaw because he created you in his image. Too often we focus on the flawed world around us and we settle for less. We settle for less than what God has desired for our lives. We give up the great for the good. We give up the amazing for the okay. We must be willing to see ourselves as God's chosen people who were redeemed for his purpose and his purpose alone. God sent his son to the cross to die, to be resurrected for you and for me so we could step into the purpose of God so we wouldn't have to settle for less. And being created in his image, we are called to reflect him to everyone. When you look in the mirror and you see a child of God, let that reflect God. Let people see him in you. Because at the end of the day, he didn't create us to be wicked and perverse. He didn't create us as a mistake. You weren't an oopsie on your parents' radar screen, even if you were. God had a purpose for you when he spoke you into being because he created you in his image. The second question we oftentimes will ask is, how do we overcome the corrupt and sinful nature into which we're born? How do we overcome the sin that we're given at birth? Is it just our lot in life when we look around and we go, well, we're all just jacked up. Let's be jacked up together. 
It'll be like one big happy misery family. Does that sound so awesome? What do they say? Misery loves company? Now the Holy Spirit gives us the power to step out of sin and to step into God's purpose. When he called you his child, he called you to his purpose. Remember, when we read Scripture, Paul tells us that every one of us has to deal with the mess of sin that we receive at birth. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. It says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And another translation says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why is this important? Because Paul was addressing two groups of people. The Jews who said, we're saved because we live by the law. We're circumcised. But these uncircumcised Gentiles, well, no, 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 no. How can they be saved? Paul's saying it's not the law that saves you. The law condemns you. The law shows you how flawed you are. It's only through Jesus that we're saved. It's only through the grace of God that we're saved. You know, after Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden, we were infected with a different kind of disease than we're dealing with right now. Different kind of disease than COVID. We were infected with a sin that we couldn't get away from. We were infected with this propensity, this desire to actively sin. We're given an opportunity. God, we go the other way. And at times, even when we do good, it can be mixed with sin. This might better be illustrated by the people who do good things with wrong motives. Think of the outspoken activists. I know none of you are those people that get on social media and spew your minds and let everybody know what you're thinking. I'm on social media, so you know, I'm on there because we have a neighborhood church page. You should check it out if you're not, you know, go like neighborhood church. But I see the craziness that people spew on social media. And think of the outspoken activist that makes a big deal about being pro-life or anti-racism, but they're not doing anything just spewing their thoughts and opinions. Or the, 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 the wealthy person who makes large donations to organizations or to churches so they can get a plaque on the wall or a building named after them. Good thing, wrong motive. Or, you know, maybe it's the pastors. Maybe it's us pastors who are more concerned about popularity than we are about speaking the truth and love in order to reach those who are searching for hope, who are searching for Jesus. Good things, wrong motives. 
So we have to come to this place where we can acknowledge the issue of sin and how it came about before we can ever understand and embrace our need to be made right by God. Too often, I think we, we tend to think, I'm I'm a pretty good person. I, I help people. I, I give at church. I give of my time. I volunteer. I do all these things. But it's not until we allow God to do the inside work that we can truly step into his purpose for our lives. I hear people all the time. I umpired with a guy the other day. He said, oh, God and I, have got, we got an understanding. We got an agreement. And what does that mean? Because there are really good people who are doing really good things and are giving massive amounts of money to help people. And the reality is, Scripture says, they'll stand before the Lord, and he'll say, they'll say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, apart from me, I don't know who you are. Because there was no relationship. Because they never said yes to the plan and purpose of God. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. How does that sit with you? You, meaning all of us, used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Man, it feels good. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. If you think you're great, reread that scripture. Here's the good news. Verse 4. But God, I love that. When you see but God show up in Scripture, man, you better get ready because there's something worth reading. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Every one of us deserve death. Every one of us deserves separation from God. Every one of us, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how great I think I am, every one of us deserve to be separated. But God is rich in mercy, and he showed grace. And as we step into the grace, that unmerited favor that God has freely given us, it will change the way we see others and it'll help us to understand God's desire that we would have relationship with them. God has placed people in your path 
for you to influence and impact and invest in. Too often we allow our disagreements in areas in which we have conflict and don't see eye to eye, we let those things become the important. And we forfeit the opportunity to show the love of Jesus. What is in the middle of you and relationship? What is keeping you from allowing God to show grace through you? There's a gentleman that's fairly well-known, great leader in his time. Most of you know who Mahatma Gandhi is. Not somebody I would probably quote when it comes to spiritual things. He was a professed Hindu. It's interesting what he says about redemption and forgiveness, grace, mercy. He was quoted as saying, I do not seek redemption from the consequences of my sin. I seek to be redeemed from sin itself. Until I've attained that end, I shall be content to be restless. See, Gandhi got it. He, he, he didn't need to be redeemed from the consequences of his sin. I made a decision, and there was consequences, and that wasn't fun. But he needed to be redeemed from his sin. But Gandhi just missed it because he believed he needed to attain that redemption by good works. And if I do this, and if I, I impact enough people, then I'll, re, I'll be able to receive that redemption. And like many others, Gandhi struggled with, with the church. Gandhi in his time struggled most of all with the segregation in the church. It was what he drove him away from, Christianity. Eventually, he came to the place of saying, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. I'd be a Christian if it was not for Christians. What kind of Christians are we? What kind of followers of Jesus are we? Are we those who like to stand on our soapbox and tell everybody what's what and let everybody know our political affiliations and let everybody know what we think about the governor's mandates? Or are we those who reflect the meekness of Jesus? You know what meekness means? Power under control. Do you exercise power under control? Do you as a follower of Jesus, knowing that you've been saved by grace, exercise power under control? when somebody frustrates you or disagrees with you or pushes you past the point where you're like, because mm. I see plenty of people who call themselves Christians who are living anything but like a Christian. This one question what is the implication for eternity? It should change the way you think in every situation. If I say this, what does it mean for eternity? If I do this, what does it mean for eternity? If I disagree with this person, 
What does it mean for eternity? If I separate myself from this person, what does it mean for eternity? Because if our perspective is not eternal, then we're going to get wrapped up in a ton of really temporary stuff, and we're going to miss the most important thing, and that is pointing people to Jesus, and that is showing the love of Christ in every situation, regardless. You know, when we realize that every person who walks the face of the earth was created in the image of God, it should change our perspective. Think about that one for a minute. Did you know that those people that you see on the news who are tearing Portland apart and lighting stuff on fire and looting stores, they were created in the image of God, just like you and me. You realize those people at work that you totally disagree with and they believe this and you believe that and and they're this and they're pro that and they're anti that and blah, 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 blah. Those people were made in the image of God too. There's child. We don't get to choose who we love because this command was simple. Love God and love people. And yet we look at the commandments and we say, if I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, man, I'm good. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That is to show you when you're wrong. Loving people is the only right that I need need from you. When we look at the people with whom we share this earth, is our perspective changed? Does it, does it cause us a deep desire to share the hope of Jesus? Or do we just get frustrated easily? Do we get easily angered? Do we get argumentative? Because here's the truth. Our God, our, our good on our own will never measure up. It just won't. We're all flawed. We're all messed up. But when we allow the Spirit of God to guide us, the good we do in this world, relationships we build, the love that we show, that will most definitely impact eternity. And it'll impact the eternity of the people that God has called you to love and to serve. We don't get to choose to not love people. Jesus never said, "Ah, eh, eh. I'm done with you, Peter. You denied me three times. You let me down. You fell asleep in the garden. Sorry, buddy. Gave you chances. Three strikes. No. We love people without exception, without fail. Is it easy? No. It's really not. But that's what God has called us to do, is to understand that every one of us has been created in His image. And the Holy Spirit will give us the power to step out of sin and into His purpose to love people. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we love You and we thank You. We thank You that You loved us so much that You created us. You created us with a purpose, with a plan. You created us in Your image. And nothing You did was by accident that everything you did was with purpose. So, Father, I pray that you give us new eyes. 
that you help us to understand that the work that you've done in our lives is the work that you desire to do in every life. That you desire to redeem your created. That every person we see, every person we interact with is your child. We're called by you to love them. We need your help. It's not easy. It's not easy to wander through a world that is so flawed and is so evil. So help us, Lord, to push past our own sin, our own depravity, to embrace your plan and your purpose, and to understand that you've called us to love people. We're so grateful that you've never given up on us, that we've never wandered so far that we're outside of your love. Oh, that we would have that same heart. God, we worship you. We love you. Church family, maybe today you find yourself in that place where you, where you would say, yeah, I've, 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 I've been at odds with people. Man, I've allowed, I've allowed people's words and people's thoughts and people's opinions and their the things that they're spewing out on Facebook, I've, I've allowed those things to get in between me and them. Today we need God's help. We need His forgiveness to move us past that. Move us back to a place of, of community, to a place of relationship, to a place of godly love. So, Father, we ask today that you would forgive us. That in those times when we've had the opportunity to speak love, to be slow to anger, to be quick to listen, we didn't do that. And God, we need you. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. And we need to be able to extend the same to those with whom you've called us to love. Holy Spirit, empower us to see the world through God's eyes. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to go to the cross to die so that we could live. We worship you, God. Perhaps you're here today or you're attending online and you or in that place where you have not said yes to God. All of this sounds great, but you have struggled to see past the chaos and the, the craziness of this current season. But you say, you know what, today I'm, I, I want to step into that relationship. I, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to understand what it means to be loved and to be able to extend that same love to others. If that's you, Scripture tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart Christ was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. And so today we're going to say a prayer and we invite you to speak that prayer and to believe it. And to speak it from your heart. The church family, can we say this prayer together? We're not embarrassing anybody or singling anyone out. Can we say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. 
I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so I could have relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, church, we have a choice to make. Are we going to get hung up on the things that are here now and temporary and maybe drive us this way or they drive us that way? Are we going to focus on eternity? Understanding that we have the privilege to speak into lives each and every day. That God brings people across our paths with whom to love every day. Because I want to be the kind of person that can look back and say, I made an impact. And it wasn't just on Albany or this or that or the other thing, or I you know, invested some time here and I did some great things over here. No, I, want to, I, want, I want there to be a legacy of lives that were touched and changed and hearts that were transformed because I said yes to God. And I pray that for each and every one of us. So as we go out of this place and as we prepare for an amazing week, the choice is yours. Will you choose to focus on eternity or get wrapped up in the fray? Because it's easy. So as we go about our day, as we go about our week, let's love people with the love of God. Let's show kindness when maybe otherwise it wouldn't be what we choose. Let's remember that God's called us to be the neighborhood. Our prayer partner is available to you if you desire prayer today. Thank you for being with us. We'll be at the cool pool at 6.30 on Wednesday night. We look forward to being with you. God bless your week. We love you.